Welcome to MLM Nation, a podcast of leaders, by leaders, for leaders, hosted by Simon Chan. He's built teams to over 80,000 and is now a full-time business coach and trainer. So if you're ready to level up your business, join us right now. Here is Simon Chan. Hey, I'm Al Nation, this is Simon Chan, and are you ready to make it happen? Yes, you. Are you ready to make it happen? Hey, you know what? Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of ML Nation. We're almost at 500 episodes, and actually, you've talked to over 500 different leaders. Uh, if you actually talk to, considering the leaders I personally work with in my business, is over thousands already. But you know, we've got a lot of episodes. I want to do something special. Sometimes we listen to the next, next, next thing, and you know, personal development can create overwhelm, right? You hear all these nuggets. So what I'm doing for this special episode, take five of our most downloaded, most popular episodes, and do a recap of them. Why am I doing this? I'm not just a recap. I'm playing them again. It's excerpt. We edited out the main highlights because we want to make sure instead of just learning more, 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 we want you to make sure you take action on them. So for these five episodes, some of them will dig them all back in the archives. We'll go far back to episode six, Robert Hollis. Um, we're going to Lisa Grossman, episode nine. Lisa Grossman is one of the most well-known figures in network marketing. Uh, we're going to Richard Brooke, episode 22, another legend in network marketing. Jordan Adler, the, uh, the first time we had him on the show, he's the author of Beach Money, again, one of the most popular and most downloaded. And, and the last one is one of my personal favorites, is the first time Gerald Wilkins was on here in episode 60. So, you ready? So, I would say, we, again, we're editing this out. I want you to hit this specific moment. So, first one, like Robert Hollis, we're going to talk about you know, things that motivate people. And once you know this, right? You can connect with people better. And then the four criteria that determine success. He talks about those who have been hurt by the profession, unfortunately, and also the difference between leverage and residual income. So without further ado, let's go right into the first episode. Robert Hollis, this guy's made over $50 million now as of 2018 through network marketing. Let's go to back in time to episode six and the highlights of the main key points. And I want you, the reason we're doing this is to make sure you apply this. Whatever nuggets you get, instead of listening to the next one, make sure you apply it. So let's go to Robert Hollis right now. There's people that I know that are successful, regardless of his sports, uh, singing, uh, professional athletes, or, or uh, professional business people. You're motivated from two things. One is inspiration. So you see these young kids that are in the Olympics, and they've seen somebody else in the Olympics. And yep. so they're inspired to be like that. So, you know, kids that are professional athletes, seeing that athlete, they are inspired to be like that. Um, me and a lot of people that I know in the MLM world, not saying that this is for you, as all the listeners that you have, is um, a lot of them come from desperation. Yep. You know, it's just like, I I have to do this. I You know, it's amazing. Uh, Eric Worre actually did a deal where there was a whole panel, you know, three years ago. And when everyone told their story of their desperation of how they got into this, Eric Murray made a funny statement. He's, he said, listen, I just want everyone to know that it's not a requirement to do jail time, to be a professional. <laughs> <laughs> and because the common theme of everyone that was happening on that panel had run into, into hard times to the point where, you know, they're basically, hey, listen, you know, if you're in the gutter and you're as low as you can go, roll over and then look up, hmm. you know, just, I mean, you can make it from, so 
you know, there was even people out there that got involved in the MLM industry because they don't, they, you know, they're, they're not going to do a background check on you. They're not worried about who you were before you got involved and now make the decision. And I can remember a couple of them saying, you know, the reason that I picked MLM is because no one judged me. And I, I got to work with people that right. were already successful and they didn't ask me to fill out a, a, a form that asked me if I was a convicted felon. They didn't care that I made mistakes in my past. Uh, that's it the best be, part. It doesn't yeah. discriminate. It doesn't matter what yeah. ethnicity, what education, what background. Anyone can get, get in. That's, that's the best part. Cool. Yeah, it's awesome. The, how did you get people in so quickly, the first 30 days? What did, you, did you have success immediately, or did you have to figure something out? No, I actually got success right away. And the reason that I did is because I'm one of those people that was so desperate, I wasn't interested in changing anything, Simon. Hmm. I knew that this guy had the check. I seen it attached to the stub. I was uh, uh, skeptical myself, but I knew he knew what he was doing. So it would be like if you were hanging around a professional athlete like Michael Jordan, and he said, this is the way you shoot the ball. Why would you question it? And so I know a lot of people that struggle on MLM, they hear my story, and they go, oh, my God, I struggled, I struggled. And I said, because A, you didn't find a documented mentor that had taught other people to be successful, and three, you didn't follow instructions. That's you right. added to it, you subtracted to it, you thought it was dumb, I don't, I'm not going to say that. And my mentor told me, and I don't mind saying what it is, I call it the million-dollar question today for obvious reasons. I, I was introverted, and so I wasn't direct. So I would walk up to people and say, listen, hi, my name's Robert. What's your name? And then I usually would say something to break the ice. Like, do you work around here? Oh, yeah, I work in the first interstate building. Well, great. Well, maybe you could do me a huge favor. And I would pause. And they go, well, what's that? And I say, my company right now is looking for individuals that would be interested in making some extra money. Do you know of anyone like that? And they go, well, what is this? And I go, why are you interested? Well, it depends on what it is. Well, if I can get your name and your phone number at a good time to call you back, I'll tell you a little bit about us. You can tell me about you, and I'll set up a time for you to meet my mentor. And so I never, ever promoted products, compensation plans, company, company owner stories. I was always promoting my mentor because that's what Sean did with me. Right. It's it's very interesting that... You'll notice people that get brought into this profession, the way they're brought in, and, and my mentor said this, is 90% of their training is done before they sign the application. That's so true, right, exactly. Because they, they, you always repeat your experience. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's the way I did it. Well, I think about the technology that we have today. I mean, you and I are on this free you know, Skype, you know, doing this interview and using technology. I do Google Hangouts all over the world. But back then, I didn't have the cell phone and the internet. So my goal was to build a rapport with that person. My goal was to get the name and the, and, and the phone number on the street. But then get build that rapport with them where I could get them in front of a, an, an effective presenter, an effective, you know, uh, uh, a mentor. And it was funny because I could always listen to my mentor, and he seemed to always know how to answer all the questions. <laughs> so the MLM Nation, this, you know, Robert's just dropping nuggets and nuggets of info here. I mean, there's four big lessons here. Number one is you have to be coachable. You know, if the upline gives you the script, follow word for word. Don't deviate. There's a reason why that thing is test, tested, proven. Follow yes. word for word. You got to be coachable. Stop saying this is not me. This is not 
it's not, it may not be you, and that's why you're earning the income you are. Right? <laughs> I would say, so follow the script. It's proven. It's a recipe. You wouldn't change the recipe for cookies, so don't change the recipe for something that works. Number two is you got to have a mentor. Like, Robert found the mentor, and he was coachable. And number three is he edified the mentor. Let the mentor or use whatever tool you use, let that do the selling, the heavy lifting. And number four is to keep it simple. Because when you start talking about, like, company founder or the pay plan, that just confuses the heck out of everyone. Keep it well, simple. You're so right, Simon. And one of the things that I'll notice with people that get involved in this business, there's a thing that I love to say, and it's an experience that we all have. It's called ignorance on fire. And ignorance on fire is I say, instead of saying, fake it till you make it, my phrase is, faith it till you make it. Mm, That's so good. Faith it till you make it. Faith it till you make it. And so when you first get in, you have no choice but to trust the system. Because you don't know anything. So I tell people, when you first got in, you got excited. How'd you do? Oh, my God. I did really good. We signed up a couple of people. I had some people that bought the products. Everything was exciting. And then all of a sudden, it slowed down. I said, do you know why? And they go, no. If I knew why, I'd change it. I said, I'll tell you why. You found out and got the information about every product. You got the information about the comp plan. You got the information about the company. And you turned into a salesperson. Yeah, that's right. And that's the biggest misconception. People think it's sales. It's not sales. Now, so as soon as they know the fact, now they're going to people. And I still get these calls, and I know you do too, in emails and Facebook. And it's like, listen, our company's this. We're in a billion-dollar industry. We're growing this fast. No one's growing faster than us. We have the most lucrative compensation plan. And our owners used to be multi-billionaires and millionaires from other companies. And it's like, so? <laughs> And, and here's my response to them all the time, Simon, that's hilarious. And I said, if your story was relevant to me making a decision and what company to get involved in, then I have to pick Amway. And they come back and they go, why? Because they're 50 years old. They did $11.8 billion. They've created more millionaires than any other company because they're just old. Hmm. And I said, so everything that you're saying, Amway's beating your stats. That's right. So why would I work with you? And they go, uh, I don't know. You better find that out. <laughs> That's so good. It's really good. Man, I'm done. I, I'm, I'm done. You know, I'm just going to try to find something else to do. And, and I never figured it out again till I love MLM. For those of you that have been hurt, here's a good saying for you. If you've ever been hurt in this profession or know of somebody that's been hurt, it's not the MLM profession. It's the MLM owners. They're people just like us. Yeah. And sometimes some of them are greedy and got egos. And sometimes they make some stupid, stupid decisions. Uh, and, you know, maybe over products or changing the comp plan or are trying to find desperation. Or maybe they're just bad people. But they're the ones that own the companies. The industry of MLM profession, there's nothing wrong. There's that's a right. lot of awesome, awesome owners out there. So, And that's, yeah. like, that's like any industry. Because uh, – MLMs, companies that are run by humans and humans are have fault, you know, and yeah. like any industry, real estate, you know, Wall Street, NBA, I mean, you can look at it. I can guarantee anything. you can talk to some, I can guarantee you can talk to some players that are playing for some NBA owners that, you know, their team can't even get over, you know, 50% of their wins. And they probably think that NBA sucks. Right. <laughs> Exactly. It seems to be working for some other teams. We know that this weekend, you know, two people are going to be going to the Super Bowl. They might think different about their owners. Yes. That's cool. You know, this thing I forgot to ask you, during the five-year hiatus, what did you do? 
when you were away from MR? <laughs> I was, believe it or not, I understood. That's a great, great point, Simon. You bring up good, good questions. Um, <clears throat> I still understood the concept of residual income. So I tell people when you understand leverage, which is the ability of teaching other people what you're learning, either at the same time from the same mentor hmm. or once you got it, you can mentor it. I tell people all the time that believe believe that they're leaders. If you don't have people underneath you that I can call on your cell phone that are making a full-time income because of your mentorship, you need to step down. You don't have to tell them that you're stepping down, but you need to learn from someone that makes more money that's more documented and be yeah. proud to, to edify them. Because I made a lot of money because I was learning from a guy that made over a million plus a year. I screwed it up and made two hundred fifty. So if you're only making ten to fifteen thousand and you're thinking you're a mentor, then all your people are making five hundred to a thousand and it's not gonna go. You gotta reach up, okay? So what I did is I understood the other part, which was residual income. I just love this concept, Simon, that I could build this customer base under the distributor force that every month they paid, I got paid. So what I did is I got into the internet. That's where I built my internet businesses. And I thought, well, if I just go out there and build a satisfied customer of my own. So I came out with a software that um, that Google ended up buying from me. But it was wow. a way you could build a website online without a credit card and hook it up to a PayPal account and immediately receive money. And so back then there were $500 for a website and 50 bucks a month. And, and so I had thousands and thousands of customers and did very, very well, but I just hated it because I wasn't mentoring anyone to do anything. Right. It's not your passion. Yeah. I was building a customer base. Money wasn't a problem, but I wasn't helping anybody learn how to do anything. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, what happened is again, God was looking after me, uh, uh, Google Dell made the offer first and Google bought it. And then right after they bought it. Then MySpace came out and everybody was saying, like, what do I need to spend 500 bucks on a website for? <laughs> I could get a free one from MySpace. Yeah. So timing was good for me. So it's really, really cool. Great question. As we uh, wrap up, some really quick questions. What's the one thing that excites you the most about MLM right now? I believe that we're still a baby. Yeah. I really, really, really do. I think the advent of technology uh, uh, is is just going to allow us to be able. I, I know where some of the humanitarians that are on the planet are trying to do, which is get you know something that can pick up internet uh, virtually in every place in the world. And so people are going to be able to get on this internet, and I have ability with my legacy, like Jim Rowan. Okay, so for the next episode, we're going to back to another Digging Back in the Archives, episode 9. I still remember doing this episode. Um, she was amazing lady, Lisa Grossman. She has done so much for network marketing, and she stayed up late in Hong Kong her time. She was in Hong Kong. She's a home in Hong Kong, and I'm in the early morning LA, and we did this interview. Uh, we made this show happen. So, Lisa Grossman, uh, really good stuff here. I want to make sure you apply it. Uh, let's go right into the show. The big biggest aha moment I got from your sharing, Lisa, is that you, know, you hear that facts tell a story sell, right? And a lot of distributors and listeners here, like they think more facts about the product, more facts about how the industry works, the company. Most of the time, that bores people, and people don't doesn't touch people's hearts. But what actually gets someone excited and motivated is, is like what happened to you, like listening to the stories, because people relate to stories. It's also the only place that people can be effective. And I don't want to go off your format, but 
you know, if your listeners are listening, I think that this will help them. You know, when people are brand new to the business, you have about an hour really to deal with the fears that even if they don't realize they've got or they know they have them, but they sort of go away for that hour that they start to get excited. Then they're going to be dealing with them the minute they go back outside and they start to talk to people. Well, nobody can learn everything there is to learn about the products in an hour, no matter how great a teacher you might be or no matter what kind of information packets you have to teach them. So you might as well not even bother teaching them anything about the product. Let them get their experience with the product because their love affair with the product, their passion for the product will take care of that. And that's part of their story. And there's no way that you could teach anybody everything about the comp plan an hour well enough that they could present it on their own um, at the front of the room next week. So don't bother trying to get them to understand anything about the comp plan. Because if they go out and they share their passion and excitement for the product, people that they know, love, and care about will buy it at least as well, at least enough to try it. And they'll make a little bit of money doing that, which will create some excitement. The only thing a brand new person has that is going to enable them to get off to a good start that they're going to feel comfortable with telling is their, their story because it's their own. And they may not be a great storyteller initially, but nobody ever tells their own story badly because they know all the facts. It's like trying to repeat a joke someone else told you. You'll never get it right, but you'll never get your own story wrong. So stories are the most compelling because all people need to tell their own story effectively is the passion and enthusiasm for what they're doing. So I think that, yes, I think that if people will understand that when you start something, if you'll just embrace your ignorance about all the facts that don't matter anyway, because you've got a support team that knows all of those and you'll learn them in time as a child learns to speak by being in front of it and just, you know, get caught up and be able to tell your own story and learn whatever it is you have to learn with and be able to express it with passion to get people in front of those that already know how to do that. You'll learn all that in time, but you and your team together will be able to share the complete story of which your own experience is your part of that process and you'll get off to an awesome start. You know, Lisa, you're a very good trainer. And so I'm interested in the, how you teach the listeners here. If someone is like that, right, they, they share the stories, but, but their prospect asks them, they want to know about the pay plan. And you're absolutely right. You can't explain the pay plan in 5, 10, 15, even one hour. You can't really explain it really well. What do you recommend distributors to use? Do they use a tool or do you just bring people to meetings? What would you recommend them to do? If, like, for example, their best friend keeps on pestering them about the pay plan, but instead they're just sharing the story. So what should they well, present it, with? It's interesting that you should bring that up because, first of all, and, and there, I will start out with a caveat because I always like to be give people the whole information because you know I never like to say always or never because then people find the one time you didn't obey your own rule. But let's say as a rule of thumb, to this day, I don't believe in being the expert with your own prospects ever. Not because you can't be, but because you're training somebody from the very minute that you talk to them. And I don't want them to expect that they have to be where you're at. So your job is never to be in that position. If you're, I'll quote Jim Fobert, who I consider to be a mentor. And, and, and I think that all success leaves clues. I think that all the people that are have been successful over time would say this in some form or fashion. If your lips are moving, it's to point, guide, or direct somebody to a third-party source of information that isn't you, to tell a story, your own or someone else's, to introduce a speaker that isn't you, or to read something because everybody can do it. So I was never about explaining the comp plan. I built all of my businesses for 25 years 
asking three questions or let me call them three themes because everybody has to ask questions and, and do things in their own language so it's comfortable and, and familiar to them. That's why I say I, I teach concepts, not scripts. But basically, people's biggest mistake is they think they have to be they think they have to know everything about everything. They have to be incredibly interesting, in other words. When really nobody cares about how interesting you are, because what's everybody's favorite subject, Simon? Themselves. Across the planet, themselves, of course. So you really need to be interested in other people. So if you go out and you talk to other people with the with being interested in them, with no agenda as to your opportunity at, at this point, but just being interested in them, eventually the conversation is going to come down to this. And it's, are you happy? And when I ask people, are you happy? I'm not asking them, did you have a cotton candy, zippity doo dot kind of day? It's basically, are you satisfied? Are you content with your life? And most people initially... When asked that question, if you don't take the time to be interested first, they're going to do what society has conditioned them to do, particularly in North America. You call 20 people today and ask, how are you? Regardless of how they are, if you start out with that question, they're going to say, fine. Because we're taught to believe that people really don't care. And people aren't fine. I always say that fine stands for effed up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. Most people are not happy the way things are. So if you talk to them really interested Eventually, the facade will drop, and they'll start to tell you that they're not all that fine. They're not all that satisfied. They're not all that happy. Um, most people aren't. And notice, I didn't ask the question, do you want more money? Some of the best people that I've ever worked with, myself when I got started, it wasn't a money issue. It was a lack of happy issue because we all felt like slaves to our businesses. Very, you know, A lot of people are so busy sacrificing so their families can have a better life. Their families are busy having a life without them. They've got plenty of money. They hate what they're doing. But most people are not satisfied. So you say, are you happy? Eventually, they're going to say, no, I'm not happy. So the next question is, well, do you have a plan to change that? And you're not asking them if they have a plan because you want to hear their plan. You know they don't have a plan. If they had a plan, they wouldn't be asking you, they wouldn't be talking to you about how unhappy they were. They'd be out working their plan. You're asking them if they have a plan because you want them to connect. You know, I'm not really satisfied. And guess what? I don't really have a plan to change that. Because the next question is, would you like to see one? Hmm. And the follow-up to that is, it's probably not for you, although I'm sure you're going to love the product. But if you do see what I see, maybe together we can do something special. Maybe I think together we can crush it. And then you get people in front of the team. And the team can be the tool or the meeting or the upline, anything that isn't you. And the reason is 80% of new people are introduced by new people. They don't know anything anyway. So if you were, if you don't allow yourself to get in that confrontational situation, it's okay to say to somebody, look, I just got started. I don't know enough about the comp plan to do it justice. And I don't want to give you, I don't want this great opportunity, which possibly could be a key to you, you know, changing your life. I don't want to ruin it by not giving you the best possible information that you can have. And that's not me because I've only been here a week because for people to really believe hey I'm with this company that's the greatest company in the industry the only one with good products the only one with a big, good pay plan that's ridiculous in 2015 the industry is coming out of the garage there are a number of good companies there are companies that are ridiculous and aren't good but there are a lot of good companies that all have good pay plans and good products what you know what's unique when you pick a company it's if you want to work with me, 
then and the great support team, the group of people that I truly believe are going to be able to help me and my family change our lives. The only place that you can get that team of mentorship and where we can work together is this company. And if you want to make a good decision, whatever decision you make for you, yes or no, based on all the information that I was able to make my decision with, I've got to get you in front of this team. And so you can understand what I saw. Make sense? I love it. I love it. You're, you're a really good trainer. And um, by the way, I love the fine. Thank can, you. Can you repeat what fine stands for? That is really good. Effed up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. <laughs> I love it. And that's so true. And you're right. You ask people on the street, how are you doing? Everyone says, I'm great. But deep down, no one is really great. You know, they've always, nobody, nobody. Um, what are some key concepts that you teach? Because I really like the way you teach and share. Uh, you said you don't really treat, you, you don't really teach scripts, but you teach concepts. What are some of them without going into detail, but if you can list them out. Okay. Um, putting your, put your efforts where they're deserved, not where they're needed. I think this is, one of the hardest ones for all of us, but I think it's a real key to long-term success and to building phenomenal teams. I think that that's important. I think that it's really important to understand that for people to understand that it is a business. It's not a numbers game. People are not numbers, but it is a numbers game. And to understand that we don't want to trip over people on the way to looking for superstars. You need to create an environment that is inclusive of everybody. So if you want to have a long-term, real long-term success that pays you residually, which is what we all talk about, you have to create something that everybody wants to be a part of regardless of how much money they want to make. And it, cause it has to be okay for somebody to realize their dream. If somebody tells me they want to make $400 a month, the grandmother, all she wants to do is make $400 a month so she can buy the grandkids presents without telling grandpa about it. And she's able to do that. That's a success story. And it, it doesn't matter if I think she should want to make $4,000 a month. It doesn't even matter if she can, because if she doesn't want to, that's okay. So if somebody wants to make $10 a month or $100 a month or $10,000 or $100,000, it's okay. We have a place for everybody. What we can't do is let somebody think that a $10 effort is going to yield a $10,000 result. But we can't make somebody feel that there's anything wrong with a $10 effort because a large organization, at the end of the day, we're about building networks of consumers. And the money is made by learning how to become a person who can work through people to people to find other people that can deliver that message without offending people along the way because consumers and consumption long term is what creates the massive revenue that rewards those that can do it well so well. I think you just summed up the key to success in network marketing in one sentence. That, that's, that's a, Thank you. Very good. So there you go from Lisa Grossman. One of the things I still uh, remember from that show was, remember, to, uh, we teach not just necessary scripts, but teaching values and themes that you can ask for your prospects. And also, why you shouldn't waste time Try to learn everything, especially when you do. That's a big, big mistake. Take action. Take one or two nuggets here. You don't need to know everything about your product and service, right? 
other comp plan, just take everything new. People want to some often embrace your ignorance, but they want your confidence and your excitement. And that's what people are buying. All right, to the next shelf. This was one of my favorites. He wrote one of the best-selling books in network marketing. Mark Two Hair on Fire, one of my favorite books. And also wrote a couple other books about network marketing as well. Uh, the one and only Richard Bliss Brook. So let's go to that show. Um, take us back to your journey where it was like an aha moment where like you said, how did you sponsor that guy, Jer- Jerry Shore, you said, right? How did you sponsor him? How did you go from hating prospecting? Did you just get lucky? You talked to enough people or you just skills just got good enough to do it? No, it wasn't. I don't believe in luck at all. I, I believe in good fortune. Fortune favors those that are prepared. So, uh, you know, in terms of like how to prospect people, I knew how to prospect people. I knew the language to use with people. What was missing for me is, you know, I, I, I just, I, I just from a pure belief standpoint and acceptance of the business model and defining myself as a network marketer and a leader, I wasn't all in. And so the defining moment, Simon, was my mentor, the first year and a half that I was a distributor, uh, there was a gentleman who was my mentor. He was the VP of training for the company. And he didn't work with me personally. So when I say he was my mentor, I, he didn't talk to me personally. I didn't go you know, sit with him one-on-one. But he was the person that I attached my, my, my hopes and my dreams and my belief to. And I, I had this story in my head that as long as I could be in the presence of Kurt Robb, that was his name, that I would eventually be successful. And during all of that time that I was listening to him on audio tape and attending his events, he told me many times, as he told the entire group, you already know everything you need to know to earn $100,000 a year in this business. All you have to do is go execute. Just go do what you know how to do. And so, but I didn't do it because I had that, I I was in that, like a lot of people are, I was in that getting ready phase. I was in the hope strategy. I hope if I hang out long enough, if I go to enough meetings, if I get on enough conference calls, that somehow somebody's going to drop into my business. And I was getting ready. The way I held myself is that I I wasn't ready. I wasn't deserving. I didn't know enough. I, I just wasn't ready. And then Kurt Robb, at age 40, without any notice, died. He drowned in Maui. And when I heard that news, Simon, I actually asked me what was my defining moment. This is a defining moment. I quit when I heard Kurt Robb died. And then I realized, and I don't, I don't know where this inspiration came from, but it was a life-saving, life-saving inspiration. I realized that by quitting, I was disgracing the enormous gifts that he'd given me, the the gifts of self-motivation and belief and self-esteem and leadership and integrity and accountability and, and all the gifts that he gave me. I was disgracing them by quitting. So I decided that because he was no longer going to be in my life, that I had to just take what he'd given me up to that point And I had to pass it on to other people. I had to quit being that giant sucking sound, you know, the giant sucking for recognition and for give me more training and, 
you know, answer more questions for me. And, you know, just that that very needy being, I went from that very needy being to becoming the source, not only for myself, but for other people. That is the day a leader was born in me. And and out of that leadership transformation came a discipline of doing the things that I was teaching other people to do. So after a year in the business, I was teaching lots of people about personal development, about building your belief systems, about studying your affirmations, about goal setting, but I wasn't doing it. And I know I'm speaking to a lot of people on this uh, broadcast right now that you know we're really good oftentimes at telling people what to do and how they should do it, but if somebody came behind us and audited our daily actions, they'd find that we were a fraud. And I was a fraud. I wasn't doing what I was teaching other people to do. So out of my leadership transformation, I just started doing what I was teaching other people to do. And, and within about six to nine months, my whole being changed. And I just grew up and I stepped into my power as a network marketing leader. And, you know, I got this phone call one day and this guy was a customer. I was living in Des Moines, Iowa. He was in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. It's about three hours away. It was in the middle of February. It was an ice storm. And he said, I need some more product. Now, this is this all happened in about five minutes, Simon. I say my success in network marketing all happened in five minutes. And it all happened by me making up this story about somebody who wanted more product. I could have made up lots of things, like three hours is too far to drive. What if I go there and he doesn't show up? What if I drive all the way there and all he does is buy a $15 bottle of product? What if he doesn't want what if he doesn't want to hear about network marketing? What if what if what if? Instead, I decided, you know what? If I drive 3 hours in an ice storm, he's going to buy a case of product because he's going to be appreciative and that's $200. $200 to me in 1979 was like, you know, $20,000 to somebody today. And I decided if I arrived about noon, he might offer to buy me lunch. And I decided that if he offered to buy me lunch, sitting there for an hour, somehow, some way, he's going to ask me about this business. And I decided I'd show it to him. And I decided he'd get in. So I drove to Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I got there at 1130. He said, wow, I can't believe you drew through, drove through this ice storm just to deliver me some product. Would you like to have lunch? We had lunch at the Village Inn, and about halfway through lunch, he said, hey, is there any money in this stuff? And at the time, I was making $300 a month, and I stared him right in the eyes with a nice little smile, and I said, it'd blow your mind how much money there is in this stuff. And I think it would have blown his mind if he knew I'd been full-time for two years and I was making $300 a month, <laughs> and I was driving a borrowed car. He got in. And uh, the next Thursday night, he had 30 people in his basement. That's wow. my Jerry Schaub story. Wow. Well, you know, it, it, that is so inspiring. I think there's two major lessons. Um, just like I think a lot of times when people want to quit, if they take themselves out of the equation and start thinking about the people they are quitting on when they quit. And so for you, it's like it's not even about Richard anymore. It was about for your mentor, Kurt. That you would be a disgrace to him for all the stuff he taught you. Yeah, I think when we make it bigger than us, 
then it just be- becomes way when your why is bigger than that, it makes it so, so much more motivating. And so it's really inspiring for you just to hear you share that. Yeah, thank you. And for you to say decide, you decided to do. I think most people would say, oh, I'm not that person is not going to buy. It's a big snowstorm. What would he do? He's not going to be interested. But you decided he would. And everything you decided, he, you know, people buy your people buy confidence. They they bought your confidence. And the other thing I wanted to just uh, talk, you know, share with ML Nation is that a lot of times leaders and I people ask me all this time. They get discouraged. You know, the people they're working with, um, they think they're going to be superstars and they they end up quitting. They don't pan out. But you never know. It could be like the Richard Brooks sitting there because you didn't know your mentor, your mentor Kurt personally. He was just one of many people sitting there. Yes. Right. The, your, yep. the next Richard could be just like that, sitting in your trainings but that you don't know, but one day he's just going to wake up and take off. Yeah, absolutely. So in uh, Mach 2, you talk about self-talk is really important, right? So when leaders quit on you like that, what's the self-talk? That's Obviously, it's probably some negativity. And then how do you change it so you get over it and you just move on? Well, you know, it's, it's the gift that the universe um, – or God, or Buddha, or whoever you believe, whatever you believe, gave humans our gifts. It's the gift that allows us to reign supreme over the animal kingdom, and that is the gift of conscious and creative thought. To our knowledge, to my knowledge, there are no other animals in the kingdom that have the ability to create at will any creative thought that they choose, they, are, they all operate out of instinct, you know, sort of a fight or flight or food mechanism, where humans have the ability to think of anything they choose to think about. So, you know, I could say to everybody at the audience, okay, let's take the next 15 seconds and let's think about, you know, what is the most amazing place you'd like to spend two weeks in the next couple of years? What is the most amazing place that would be the most fun, give you the most relaxation, be the most spiritual, rejuvenating? What is that place? And, you know, I could ask the question, and maybe some of you would have to, you would say, oh, I don't know, I don't know. I'd say, well, fine, you know, Google it, you know, just so do you want to go to a beach or do you want to go to a forest or you want to go to a city, you know, spend Send five minutes on Google, and let's come up with our dream vacation for the next couple of years. We're the only being on the planet that has that ability to ask the question and answer the question. So when it comes to self-talk, you know, there's all of this, you know, the secret, you know, all these, the thing that came out a few years ago about the secret. Well, that is the secret. The secret is that you and I as human beings can ask and answer any question we want. So the question I would ask people who just lost a group of people or lost a distributor, I would ask you, Simon, if you just lost some people, I'd say, okay, what are you saying to yourself? And you would probably say, oh, I'm not good enough. You know, they don't like my company. I'm not a good enough leader, blah, 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 blah. And then I'd ask you, how does that make you feel to say those things to yourself, Simon? Hey, probably not very good. So if you don't feel very good, Simon, how effective you're gonna, are you going to be at rebuilding your business? Not very effective. Then I would ask you, Simon, what do you want? Do you want to fail or do you want to succeed? And you would say, I want to succeed. So I would say, okay, 
let's dream up some things that you could say about you that might empower you to build. So how about your leadership skills, Simon? Let's talk about what leadership skills you have that are gifts, that are great, that are a contribution. And we would identify some of those. And then I would coach you to start rehearsing and start visualizing and start speaking those gifts into yourself. And the way human psychology and blood chemistry in the brain works is we speak something of choice. And what our mind does is it watches a movie that the, wor the words uh, are the, are the uh, film script to. Our mind sees a picture that the words describe. And those pictures generate feelings, and the feelings lead us to act. So the whole self-talk process is the secret to transformation. It is the secret to success. It's the secret to getting off the fetal position in the couch, feeling sorry for yourself, and getting up and going doing something about it. You've got to change the story. You've got to rewrite the script. Anybody can do it. Mach 2 teaches you how to do it. And it is the difference between settling for a mediocre life, just letting any old thought that passes through your mind dictate your future, or taking control of the process and creating a beautiful story and living out of it. Hey, thank you for sharing. ML Nation, Richard just gave you such nuggets of wisdom there. I would... You know, hit that uh, rewind 15 seconds a couple of times and re-listen to that. Or go get the Richard, you know, Richard's book, Mock to Head on Fire, his entire chapter about that, what he just went over, about the movie script and the words. So thank you for sharing that. That's really, that's one of the best sharings we've had. Now, Thanks, Simon. And my vision, Simon, for the profession is not only that it keeps growing, and I believe it will keep growing at a geometric pace, but what we need to do as network marketing professionals, I believe, is we need to respect and, and honor the treasure of this business model and perhaps learn new ways of promoting the business model. Most network marketing distributors today still recruit with hype. They still recruit by telling people their product is the best product in the world. When we know that's not necessarily true, how could it be true if a thousand different companies are making the same claim. We recruit by telling people our compensation plan is the best compensation plan. We know that's not true. We tell people our companies are the best companies. We know that's not true. And all of that hype wears on the prospects. It wears on the public, the deception, the hype, the posturing of telling people what they should be doing with their life, which is kind of the theme of how most networkers recruit. If I was prospecting you and I'm a typical networker, Simon, you know, I would be asking, well, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a stockbroker. Oh, you should, you should be doing network marketing. And, you know, you shouldn't get a college education. You should be a network marketer and you shouldn't invest in, you know, real estate and the equities. You should be a network marketing. And it's just, it's a very arrogant, narrow-minded, dishonoring approach to what is a beautiful, brilliant, eighth wonder of the world business model. And so my vision for our profession is that we would all as network marketers grow up, slow up, 
a little bit our pace and treat prospects, treat the public, treat people that we want to enroll in our business with respect by being much more transparent and much more truthful about what we do and, you know, meeting people where they are in life and honoring the choices that they've made and just looking to see if our opportunity or our products are a fit for people where they're at in life right now. And if they're not, we don't make them wrong. We don't make them haters because they don't understand what we do or it's not appealing to them at the moment. We actually honor their choices and we respect their choices and we cherish their choices. And by doing that, we may have an opportunity to show them our opportunity next year. Because as we know, people change and their lives change. And just because somebody says no, that doesn't mean they don't wanna make more money or they don't wanna look better or be healthier or save money on whatever our products are. All it means is they don't know what we know right now and they don't wanna take the time to find out. And we just need to treat prospects different so that 25, 10, 20 years from now, when super MLM man goes out on the street and asks people, hey, what do you think about network marketing? People actually know what it is and they don't hold it with disdain or total confusion. They say, oh yeah, you know, like this company or like that company. Yeah, I know those people. I've talked to those people. Those people are nice. Those people are mature. Those people are professional. That's my vision for next network marketing is that it's a coming of age renaissance business model that is on par as a career choice with anything else that's out there uh, because it is an extraordinary wealth building vehicle. Richie, you brought up uh, a super ML man. And since you're talking about the vision, share a little bit about the, talk a little bit more about super ML man and, or is it ML Superman? I think either way, they sounds pretty cool. Share about that idea. Cause I watched a couple of those videos. They're funny, but they're also very revealing, very, you know, and ML Nation, go check it out. Just go to YouTube. Just put an MLM Superman and Richard's, uh, you actually get to see him in the cape. It's really hilarious. But <laughs> talk a little bit about the vision behind those videos and your purpose. Well, the vision was to, I, I wanted to know myself, but I also wanted to share it with other people. I thought intuitively, you know, boy, if I could capture this on film, there might be something of value here. And the only reason I dressed up as super MLM man is the idea of going out on the street in a suit or just dress normally and asking people what they thought about network marketing. I, I didn't feel like I would personally be entertained and I wanted, to, I wanted to have fun with it and I wanted to be entertained. So part of the time I have this Superman suit on, not all the time, I did it for my own benefit, just to keep a smile on my face. Uh, and so I hit the streets. The first one was a couple of years ago in Spokane, Washington. The next one was about a year ago in, in Waikiki. And the last one was in November in Las Vegas. And it is Super MLM Man on YouTube or my website. Um, I don't know what comes up if you Google MLM Superman, but it's Super MLM Man. Dot com. Uh, and, you know, all, the purpose of these, Simon, is for us to document on film to be able to study really how ignorant and how biased people are about our profession. You know, using the word network marketers, as you can tell by watching Super MLM Man, 
people have no idea what that is. They, they think it's all kinds of different things. They don't even know for the most part what MLM is. Multi-level marketing, they, most people don't know what that is. Now, if you say party plan, people know what that is, and most women have hosted a party. If you say direct selling, it's amazing how many people think that that's AT&T or Starbucks or Facebook. They don't know what direct selling is. You say pyramid scheme, they know exactly what you're talking about and who you are talking about when you tell people pyramid scheme is us. I mean, the first company that they'll mention is Amway. And so 60 years of us promoting this beautiful business model. I mean, there is not a more potent wealth building business model on the planet than network marketing. And what we've done with it for 60 years is just step all over it with our greed and our impatience and our fear and our franticness to recruit people. And we've left people with this impression. And so the purpose of Super MLN ep episodes uh, is to educate people. These are our prospects. These, this is who's out in the public sector. This is who you're prospecting. So maybe you want to wise up and lose the hype and lose the making people wrong and lose, lose telling people what they should be doing with their life and embrace you know, the approach that I teach, which is all about curiosity and listening and being patient and asking intuitive questions. And instead of closing people, you actually learn to open people. And by taking that approach for the next decade, we can change how the public sees our business model. I love it. You know, it was so funny. I think in one of the episodes, you interviewed this girl. And um, you asked her if she knew Warren Buffett. She says no, but she knew Bill Gates. <laughs> and then she said Bill Gates was the head of a pyramid company. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just, there's all types of people. And then some other person talked about pyramid schemes, like a pyramid will point to the sky. And it was like some scientific thing that he read in the newspaper. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and I got to tell you, Simon, none of that was staged. None of it. Not even the last girl on the Spokane on the first episode. Everybody thinks that was staged. It wasn't staged. It was totally random. We didn't pre-interview anyone. And the only person that is staged in all of those, if you watch the Las Vegas version, uh, Jordan Adler was there with me, and I did stage him walking up the sidewalk like he was a random person, and I asked him if he knew anything about network marketing. And So for people that don't know Jordan, he's the top distributor and send out cards. He has a quarter of a million people in his network, and he's the author of Beach Money. He's the only person we staged in all three episodes. So MLM Nation, definitely check that out. Uh, you can go to the show notes page with Richard. Just type in Richard under MLMNation.net, and then the link will be there. And also just go to YouTube and uh, put in Super ML Man. And these videos, definitely watch them. They're very educational, also funny. They'll come up. So there you go. Talk about why, you know, if you ever thought about quitting, I know you got to work hard. If you never thought about quitting, by the way, you just haven't worked hard enough. But when that moment we feel like quitting, uh, Richard talks about what that really means. And also the self-talk 
you need to overcome that negativity and to take action, 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 and how to really be a true MLM professional. So thanks again to Richard Brittis Book. By the way, if you want to hear these uh, original podcasts, you can go to Richard Brittis Book is uh, uh, episode 22. Go to mlmnation.com forward slash 022. Uh, for Lisa Grossman was mlmnation.com forward slash 009. And Robert Hollis was uh, forward slash 006. Okay. Now, for the next one, and this was, again, I still remember this interview. It took me a long time to follow up. but was so, so worth it. He was out in Vegas when he did it. I was, I still remember the time. It was in June 2015 when I did it. Um, it is my friend Jordan Adler, one of the most recognizable names. Super, super inspiring. All wrote Beach Money. Uh, he just wrote, uh, re-released the newest version of Beach Money as well. It's Jordan Adler from episode 49. So let's go to that show. So my organization and our company it represents 150,000 distributors, and there's 180,000 in our company. So wow. 150,000 of the 180,000 are in my organization, but those people most likely wouldn't be there if I hadn't joined the company and stuck with it and continue to sponsor people. So I sponsor an average of three people a month, not thousands, not tens of thousands. I sponsor three people a month. In fact. This month already, I've signed up three personally sponsored distributors, and this month I'll probably sign up five or six distributors. In fact, I trained somebody right before getting on this call, and I'm training somebody right after this call. Um, so I'm still I'm still in sponsor mode. I'm still in growth mode, and and um, and so, but but you know I've adopted a philosophy of who's next. I'm always looking for who's the next distributor that I can help get started in the business. I don't get caught into the management trap where you start to manage your team. That's a trap that leads to nowhere. It actually will create stagnant. It'll create uh, a stagnant um, uh, um, circumstance in your business if you start managing your group. You always want to be looking for who's the next personally sponsored distributor that you can help get started, either for you personally or for somebody in your organization. So you're looking for people in your organization that that are bringing new people into the business and then you want to get to know those people and assist that team in bringing in new people through meetings and conference calls and three-way calls and things like that. That's how you create growth. Now your job is just to get people started and then at some point early on, you don't want to you don't want to get into a trap where you're managing those teams. You want to get you want to get people started in the business and then you're looking for the next person. Again, who's the next person you can help get started? Because the key is to get lots and lots of people doing a little bit all the time on a regular basis. And the only way you find those people is to continue to move through your organization. Think about it this way. Um, you know, the, the sport of sailing, sailboats. I don't, I'm not a sailor, but I've, I've been on sailboats. In fact, Donna Johnson is a very close friend of mine, and she has a sailboat, a catamaran sailboat in the British Virgin Islands. And when we were out there, it's just so beautiful. The water is just aqua. I don't know if you've been there, Simon, but the water is just like turquoise, and uh, it's just it's heaven. So we're out the sail on the sailboat, and there was a little there was a captain and his wife were on the sailboat, and I and he he looked like he'd been sailing for a long time. I asked him how long you've been sailing. He said thirty five years, and I said when was the last time you talked to your instructor? And he said uh, I don't know thirty two years ago. So he'd been sailing for thirty five years, but he hadn't talked to his instructor in thirty two years. He remembered his instructor's name. He hadn't talked to him. He didn't even know where he was. But yet he's a sailor and he sails his boat all around the world. And uh, I started thinking about the 
thousands of sailboats in the British Virgin Islands and the tens of thousands uh, in that part of the world and then the millions of sailboats all over the world and thinking to myself, most of the people that learn to sail probably have no communication with the person that taught them to sail. And so the way I equate that to our business is my job is not to sail with you. My job is to teach you how to sail and then set you out. Set you out. And some people will, will, will sail for a year and they'll, their boat will run onto a reef and they'll, it'll spring a leak and they'll never get it fixed and they'll never sail again. Other people will get tired of the sport. Some people will find out they don't like it all that much. Some people will sail for two or three or four years and then their life will change. Maybe they get married and have a kid and get a corporate job. Who knows? There's other people that will sail for years and years and years and enjoy and they'll actually, some of them will even train other people to sail. So my job is to help people get started in the business. I don't really concern myself with whether somebody stays with it, quits, um, or, you know, I don't really concern myself with whether somebody's on a long-term journey or whether they're just going to do a little bit with us. I'm looking for the people that want to sail with us over the long haul, but I'm not going to sail with them. I'm just going to get them started. And then we'll be friends, but I'm not going to do it for them. And the people that build big businesses, they just get lots and lots and lots of people trained to do the business, and then they let them go. That's I really, you- yeah, I really love love this, the way you said about the sailor. I think that's you know we always hear this term "lead by example," uh, but I think you just defined it—the whole sailor analogy. And also, uh, you know, you say, "Who's next?" And I think, "Who's next?" Yeah, who I love gonna, it. Who am I going to train next? Who am I going to get started next? And I teach my team to do the same thing, so they're always looking for the next person. And, and if you look at the word, you know, you mentioned leadership. Um, if you look at the word leadership, the, what are the first four letters of the word leadership? It's lead, L-E-A-D. And what, is it, what does it mean to lead? Well, leading means going first. So that just in the word lead, that it's like in, if a, in a horse race, the first horse is the lead horse. So if, if leadership is about leading, then that means that you go first. That means that you're the first person to do the presentations. You're the first person to schedule the meeting. You're the first person to get promoted. You're the first person to buy the ticket to your convention. You're the first person to do a three-way call. So leading is about doing those things before anyone else is doing them. And so when you look at your business, if you take full responsibility for your business because it's your business – what do you want to do? You want to be a leader. Well, then you lead by going first. That's what leadership is. Thank you for sharing. I really love that. ML Nation, you need to go to rewind that. I'll have some of the stuff on the show notes too about leadership. Uh, Jordan probably gave the best, one of the best definitions I've heard about what leadership is. And I love the story about the analogy of the sailors and who's next. Everybody reaches a breaking point. And at that breaking point, they either quit altogether or they turn it on at a level that they've never turned it on before. And uh, so, you know, there's defining moments. There's moments in your life that everything changes. And for me, um, there were probably four defining moments that were just so huge for me that I, I saw some things that I'd never seen or never, never noticed before that caused me to really believe in the profession and myself. So I had never gotten a check in network marketing for 10 years, 11 companies. Not one company had I ever even received a check. I just spent money in every company. I bought products. I went to trainings. I went to events. Um, and uh, 
and I never made a penny. And then what happened, I can name a few things that, that happened, but I was, I was actually in San Francisco and I was sitting on the front row, never signed up as a distributor in my life. And Jay and Meg Smith, um, were mentors of mine. They, they were in my other company and they were the top earners at the time. Jay passed away a number of years ago of a heart attack and a stroke, but they were very, very close personal friends of mine that I, and I met them at that company and they, um, they took me under their wing and they invited me to a dinner. And at that dinner, um, there were, uh, probably a total of 12 people, but there were five people sitting at that table that were the top earners in the company, the top five people in the company at the time. The top people in the company were in the range of ten to twenty thousand dollars a month, and in my life, I had never met anybody that made ten or twenty thousand dollars a month. And uh, so I'm sitting around this table and I'm listening to the conversations: Al Thomas, Russ and Mary Nolan, Jay and Meg Smith, Paul Orbison, and they're all sitting around this table. And they they had all been with the company for a couple of years. I was brand new, having never ever been around people like this. I just listened. And as I listened to their conversations, I thought to myself, they're just like me. Their stories are exactly the same as my story. The only difference is they're now on the other side of it. And as I listened, I realized that I could be sitting where they're sitting in three or four years if I just stay focused and if I don't quit and if I do the work and become a real student. And that's what I did. And, uh, and, and three and a half years later, I was on the stage with those guys speaking at the same events, traveling around in private jets. Wow, and, fantastic. Uh, having dinner backstage with the founder of the company who went on to become a multi-billionaire. Mm. What were the uh, other, you said 40 funny moments, what were the other three? Well, there was one that uh, I had been in that company for um, about a year. I had my credit cards were maxed out with the exception of one. I still had my job at America West Airlines, and at that point it was probably paying me twenty grand a year, somewhere in that range, maybe maybe less, maybe eighteen thousand a year. <clears throat> and I'd been there for ten years and they were in bankruptcy and I finally got a team going. I finally figured out how to sponsor people. And so over the course of that year I'd signed up, I don't know, maybe uh I think I'd signed up probably 10 people or 12 people. And I had one person in the group that knew somebody in uh, Peabody, Massachusetts and brought this guy in and he brought in his friend and that group grew to 40 distributors. So at the end of the year, I had about 40 distributors in my group. I was making $180 a month, $180 a month, 40 people in my group. And finally I'm in network marketing and this is my this is my moment of glory. And all of a sudden my group starts to take off and they asked me to come to Peabody, Massachusetts. I still have a job paying 18 grand or so a year. And so I have to put my expenses um, for the trip on my credit card, which was my credit cards, which were already almost maxed out. And I flew to Peabody, Massachusetts. Um, and when I arrived, it was a major blizzard. And uh, I rented a car and I started driving. And it took me two and a half hours to get from the airport to where the meeting was going on. I showed up right on time and I pulled up to the house and all the lights were off in the house and I'm in a blizzard. The, the wind is blowing sideways and I came from Arizona and I don't have clothes for winter in Peabody, Massachusetts. Wind is blowing sideways. The snow is very deep. I go up to the door, knock on the door, ring the doorbell. Nobody comes to the house, check the address. Uh, we didn't have cell phones back then. So I made my way to a pay phone and I called and a voice, uh, an answering machine came on and I was standing 
uh, on a payphone, outside payphone, in a blizzard. I just come across the country and spent money that I didn't have. And I thought about quitting. Like I thought this is this is not going to work. Like where are these people? I just spent my money and came all the way over here and I have no way of getting a hold of anybody. Nobody's answering their phones. And I was sure I had the right date and all that. I talked to them and confirmed everything. Well, it turned out that the blizzard caused them from showing up. They, they decided they couldn't make it. I came all the way across the country and they decided they couldn't make it because of the blizzard. And I sat on that. I, I remember standing there thinking to myself, well, I can do it again. I can quit again like I did in all the other companies I've been involved in the last 11. Or I could see the job through and continue on this journey. And if anybody's ever made money in this company, I'm going to make money. And I, I chose to stay with it. And I kept sponsoring one distributor a month. Every single month, I, I focused on getting one a month for years. And my goal was to sign up one a month and just keep doing it until somebody went out and, and saw this the way I saw it. And that's, that's what happened. And, and I went on to, like I mentioned, I went on to build a group of 85,000 distributors and made $8 bucks in that company. Wow. It's, that's inspiring because we've all been there where we showed up for meetings, but not as bad as you. Like, you actually <laughs> have to take time. Well, you will. If you haven't already, you will. Yeah, right? like, and people complain, oh, my prospect didn't show up. At least you didn't take, a, you know, take time off from your work to spend your last money I on a cross-country flight. I could tell you a whole bunch of stories of things that would cause – if there were a 1,000 people that had these things happen to them, uh, 999 of them would quit. And I was the guy that decided that I'm, I was going to see the job through no matter what. Hmm. I mean there was another one where uh, – sure, I'll just real quick. Um, uh, the company lost my downline. This was back when they were doing more things manually than they are today. But the company lost my entire – genealogy. Now everybody in my group was still getting paid, but right after I quit my job at the airline, I needed every single penny that I received in income in order to pay my bills. And uh, the, 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 literally the week that I quit my job, the company lost my downline and there was no customer service. You had to fax in your customer uh, inquiries and, or distributor inquiries. And so I was faxing in my issue in that I'm not getting a check. And I need to be getting my check, uh -huh. they, but they can't even find me, and there's no customer service to call. And I wasn't Jordan Adler where I could call the company. You know, that, it didn't work that way. It was uh, I had to follow the process that everybody else did. It took them it took them three months before I got me my checks again. Wow! And, and uh, I actually almost had to file bankruptcy because of it, but I stuck with it. And I knew Kenny Trout was an honest man, and that I was eventually going to get my money, and I did. They found my downline. They put everything back together, and. Uh, I, and then things turned around. Around my 33rd month, it was almost three years in the in the business where things really turned around, and my income went from about 2,500 a month, 2,800 a month, to 34,000 a month in about uh, 10 months. It went from 2,800 a month to 34,000 a month, and then it went up from there. Wow. Hey, so real quick, because I want to keep this on time, but you said four defining moments, and you shared two good stories, but maybe really, really quick, what was the third and fourth defining well, the third moment? Well, the third one was when the company lost my check okay. or lost my downline. And uh, the fourth, uh, I've got a bunch. I mean, I'm trying to think if there was, like, I know there are others, and I right off the top of my head, that was the third one that I mentioned was the, the thousand, the fourth. I don't know if I mentioned that there was a fourth, but there are. There's probably ten. If I if I dig deep, I could probably think of more. Yeah, oh, we'll move on. We'll move on because I, so no. I mean, I, there was one point where I was taking the bus. I mean, there's things like, you know, my car broke down. I tried to fix it myself. I put the water pump in backwards. It blew up the car. <laughs> sat, sat in the street for two years. I took the bus to work because I couldn't. 
I couldn't, uh, didn't have the money to fix my car. And I mean, or, or, I mean, that was one I can remember where I was going to the grocery store and buying macaroni and cheese, uh, three boxes for a buck, mixing it with tuna. And that was my dinner every night of the week. Cause I didn't have money to buy groceries really. So I was looking for the top ramen and the cheapest stuff I could buy. And, you know, after a while you just kind of two, one or two things happens. You either get resigned and say, this is just the way my life's going to be, which is what most people do, or you get pissed off hmm. and you just work harder than you've ever worked before. And you, you find the path that will lead you to, um, to your success, but you have to do it with an attitude of, I'm going to do this no matter what. That's what it took me to get my helicopter license. I can't even tell you how many, how many times I got so frustrated and, and actually there were so many defining moments where I, I really came so close to quitting because it was the hardest thing I've ever learned to do. Hard, harder, than, harder than getting my network marketing business going. Learning to fly a helicopter for me was so difficult. And uh, there were many times where I questioned whether it would ever happen. But I also know that as long as I trust the process and see the job through, as long as I don't quit until it's done and I trust the process and I keep going back to my dream, why am I doing this? So if I, I kept going back to my dream, why am I doing this? On the days that I didn't want to get in the car, or the days that I was coming up with excuses, or the days that I wasn't feeling well and I knew that was just an excuse to not have to go back down to the helicopter school to do some crazy-ass maneuver that uh, scared the crap out of me. And uh, I just uh, I knew that I was going to have to do those things to get my license, but I knew that I had to keep focusing on the why. Like, why am I doing this? Like, what do I want from it that that caused me to make the decision to go for it in the beginning. Keep going back to that and then trust the process and see the job through. That means keep going back until it's done. So there you have it. Make sure you avoid the management trap and you need to remain in sponsoring mode. Always sponsor, sponsor. Jordan's a seven-figure owner and he's still recruiting uh, every day. And the defining moments that Jordan shared are... That is what makes you the person you are, okay? The defining moments and why they help you. To, so if you're going through a tough time, that's a defining moment. Be happy that know that that is helping you grow. Okay, for the full interview, I love that Jordan's such an excellent storyteller. I highly recommend listening to the whole thing. Episode 49, mlnation.com, Photoshop 049. And just look, listen to how he tells the details, how he uses his voice to share that story. Really, really good. Now, let's go to the last one of my the most popular interviews is Gerald Wilkins, episode 60. You want to listen to the full show? MLNation.com, forward slash 060. And um, you're going to learn a lot of great nuggets here. So let's go to Gerald Wilkins, episode 60. I think, number one, success, as Earl Nightingale, is the progressive realization of a worthy idea. So my success then was not what it is today. Uh, I had some success, you know, a couple grand. Uh, 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 you know, that I, that I was able to achieve and, and earn and that type of thing, earn my investment back, and I started to learn. And most people think success in network marketing means a full-time income. Some people think it means six figures a year. Some people think it means seven figures a year. And what I've realized, Simon, is that no matter what level you get to in network marketing, you're always looking to better your best. So success today may not be what it is tomorrow for you. You know, I remember one time, Simon, I thought, man, once I get to 10 grand a month, oh, you won't be able to tell me anything. You know, I, I would have arrived. Well, I got to 10 grand a month. I said, oh, this ain't no money, man. I got, <laughs> I got to get back to work. You know, and I said, okay, let me get to 20 grand a month. 
oh, man, it's going to be off the hook. 20 grand a month? Donald Trump says you haven't began to live the American dream until you're at least making 20 grand a month. So I started making 20 grand a month, and I was like, oh, I, I got some good stuff, but, you know, this I can't really impact more people outside of myself. So I set a bigger goal, and it continued to grow. 30 grand a month, 40 grand a month, 50 grand, 60, 70, 80. And now when I got to $80,000 a month, it was like, okay, this is cool, but man, I got to get to 100 grand a month. I can't really live life <laughs> in, in an impactful way till I get to six figures a month. And so that, that, the success always grows. It always changes. And so in the beginning, this is what I tell people. Your first year in network marketing, I want people to write this down. You will either be rewarded or punished for how you lived your life prior to getting started. I'll repeat. Oh, when, in good. network marketing, your first year success will be based upon how you have lived your life prior to getting started. You will either be rewarded or you will be punished for how you lived prior to getting started. And so uh, I didn't get to six figures a year my first year in network marketing. Matter of fact, it, I didn't get to a six-figure income, Simon, to my sixth year in network marketing. And Malcolm Gladwell talks about this very principle because a principle is nothing but a, but a law. And a law impacts everybody. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. It doesn't matter what your ethnic background is. A law is a law. It's like the law of gravity. You don't have to believe it, but if you go and stand on the top of a building and jump, you will fall. It's a law. A law is bigger than anyone. And so he talks about in his book, Malcolm Gladwell does, uh, Outliers. He talks about this concept entitled 10,000 Hours. He says, every master was once a disaster. Every winner was once a beginner and every contender or every champion was once a contender. And so he says, what's it take for you to master any craft? I don't care if it's network marketing, the insurance business. It doesn't matter if you're going for a movie, uh, you know, wanting to be an actor or an actress. It's a the, the price that must be paid for you to go from beginner to winner or from disaster to master is 10,000 hours. You have to beat on that craft, not only through books, not only through audios, but also through events. And you've got to put in the 10,000 hours to, de to develop, number one, the credibility. Number two, the character. A lot of people want to develop the charisma. And charisma and character are two different things. Charisma is what you project on stage. Character is who you are off stage. So that 10,000 hours for me is what I had to go put in. And that's why I didn't have the success in the very beginning as what we have now because I had to put in the 10,000 hours. Wow, well, I was just taking uh, pages of notes here. I love the thing talked about credibility, right? As yes. you build your credibility, that's how you attract. And your first year, I think that's the best. I've heard this is the best I've ever heard it. Like you're either rewarded or punished for how yes. you live your life because you've been in a life person of giving, giving, giving. You'd be easily people. You'd be a person of high credibility, and people mm -hmm. would join and follow you. And so when you said that, I was just thinking about when I, my first year, my, oh gosh, I was definitely punished. <laughs> For a lot of times I would just, you know, play video games, do things that made me feel good, but I never contributed to other people's lives. That's an yes. awesome way to put it down, put it there. Mentorship and coaching are two different things. Uh, a coach is someone who gives you a training on the how-tos of a, of a subject, whether it's how to prospect or how to find 
prospects or how to do a three-way call or how to build a house or how to you know uh, parent your child it's it's a coach's role and a coach's purpose is to teach and train you the how-to's of a thing a mentor's role is to teach you how they think so they pour literally their life's philosophies that's what philosophy means a a, a, a way of thinking they pour their thoughts into you and you now, as the mentee, begin to develop the thinking of the mentor, whereas you can now think through situations like they think. And so this mentor, Mr. Holton Buggs, uh, Holton Buggs said, hey, listen, I'm going, I've got a transition now. This is what I tell people as well. Transitioning is different from jumping. Transitioning is different from jumping. Well, Jared, what's the difference? Well, a jumper is someone who's in a company today uh, you know, three months, six months, a year, and their pattern is always jumping. They're in this company, they're chasing this rapid, they're, tra they're chasing this dream. And, and I tell people now that, you know, successful professionals sit still and build, only clowns jump around. Hmm. He was not jumping. He had to make a transition for he and his family because situations and circumstances had changed in that particular company. But because I was so emotionally involved, I couldn't see the forest from the trees. I often tell people now, you can't see the picture when you're in the frame. And so I was in the frame. I couldn't see what he was saying. And he had been through this experience before where a company had gone down and all this type of stuff. And he was literally trying to reason with me. I mean, literally, I went over and I talked to him for hours from about, uh, from about 7 p.m., 8 p.m. to the following th uh, morning, 3 a.m., and I was like, no, this is not going to work. I'm going to stay in this company. I'm going to show you da 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 and, and I went against, for the first time, Simon, I went against the thought process of the mentor. And it left me in a very devastating situation. I had gone through foreclosure on my home. I had gone through, um, you know, such a traumatic experience financially. It was, it was one of the worst decisions I've ever made in my life. It put me in a place where one of my cars is up for repossession. I didn't even have $150 to pay my light bill. My lights were off. And I had just had my daughter, uh, Chandler, Sade Wilkins. And I remember not being able to even provide for her. And it went completely against my identity as a man because I had been trained and taught that as a man, you're supposed to be able to provide and to protect. And I was in a position where I couldn't do either. And I almost slipped into depression. Really, I did, because I had to now start looking for jobs. And I hadn't worked a job at that point for years. And I'm submitting resumes, uh, borrowed the $150 to get the light bill on. I'm robbing Peter to pay Paul and started robbing Peter, Paul, Mary and Martha. I started robbing everybody. Um, had no credit cards. I had nothing at all. And I, I tell people this is where I believe characters built in the valley. This is where I got a chance to, to see and to learn and to grow my character, my resolve. And it was one of the, now that I look back on it, it was one of the worst and best things that ever happened to me. Because at that point, I started to become introduced to my real self and, um, you know, went through that process, uh, finally got myself uh, back together and had another conversation with him 
uh, about why he transitioned. And at this time, I was I was a little bit more receptive and opening or open to hear um, the difference between making a network marketing decision and making a business decision. And I was ready that second time around to make a business decision. And uh, without that, I wouldn't be here where I am today. What would you consider to be your proudest moment in network marketing? My proudest moment uh, was when I had achieved the objective uh, in our company of, of, of what we call Diamond. As a Diamond, you have an organization that uh, has generated uh, at least $200,000 in, in revenue in a calendar month. And it wasn't necessarily the position because it, it, by the time I hit that position, I was already making a six-figure income earner annually. And so it wasn't necessarily the money. It was uh, the goal. It was the achievement. It's, it's like, the, it's like uh, you know, Michael Jordan when he won his uh, third or fourth championship. And people see him crawl on the floor and he's holding that trophy and he's crying and he's weeping. And you're like, why is he doing all that? You've already won rings. Well, it's because the, the, the goal he had set. I mean, you see, you know, musicians, you see, you see you know, uh, uh, movie stars, you know, they get there and they, they're accepting their Academy Awards and they're in tears. I mean, these are people that have already made tens of millions of dollars and they're crying over this trophy and people are like, what, what, what's the deal? Well, what they're crying over is all of what they've had to go through. You know, you, you're rem you see, I think leaders and, and, and just champions, no matter what field it is, you have to have moments where you can turn back the time or the, the, the hands of time and say, I remember when. Whether it's, I remember when I was sleeping in my car, I've done that. I remember when people told me, no, I've heard that. I remember when nobody supported me. By the way, most of your friends and family won't start supporting you until strangers start celebrating you, okay? <laughs> That's what I often tell people. Most of your friends and family, they won't support you until strangers start saying, oh, he's the man, he's the woman, she changed my life, he impacted my life. You're in magazines, you're on DVDs, you're on stages in front of thousands of people sharing your story, sharing your struggle, because you can't get strength without struggle. A butterfly cannot become a butterfly until it's first a caterpillar that stretches and strains through the cocoon to become a, a butterfly. And so it's a metamorphosis process. So the proudest moment for me was getting to that position because I knew all of what it took and I had arrived to this place of utopia, whereas I could stand on the stage confidently and boldly and say, listen, I've been where you've been. I've seen what you've seen. I've experienced it. I know what it feels like to drive halfway across town and nobody shows up. I know what it feels like to have people hang up the phone. I know what it feels like to go to the gas station and say, you know what? If I put $5 in this, in this tank, it's gonna get me to where I need to go to, but if I don't sell some product where I'm at that meeting, I ain't coming back. <laughs> I know what those things feel like. I know what it feels like to say, you know what? I, I got the money for a flight uh, to, to fly over to a market to go do some meetings, but I don't have the money to stay in a hotel. And, and I know what it feels like to get to the hotel counter knowing I don't have the money on the card to pay for the room. And I give them the room and it swipes. And, and before they swipe it, the person that's with me says, hey, oh, by the way, we've already paid for your room. See, I know what it looks like to not say I have faith, but I know what it feels like to have faith and exercise it. Faith is an action word. Faith means nothing but belief. Faith, I, I say the, the, the acronym for faith, Simon, F-A-I-T-H, means finding answers in the heart. Mm. And that's what the business is all about. It's about your heart. And so that was my proudest moment. I wept like a baby. Oh, my goodness. I was crying. I mean, it's just crazy. And so, uh, you know, I wasn't crying for the money. I wasn't crying because we had thousands of people in our organization. 
I was crying, Simon, for that man or that woman that was sitting in the back of the room where I once sat saying, can I do this? Will it work for me? And will I get some help? I knew that through my story, it wouldn't reach everybody, but I knew my story would reach somebody. And that's what network marketing is all about. Network marketing essentially is one beggar telling another beggar where they found some bread. The two concepts of being able to educate a person and equip them and empower them to take action and do it through a through, do it in a method where they're fired up to do it. And, and so transformational teacher, in, in, for me, is someone who can give a set of instructions that seem so complex, break it down to a simplified methodology where a person not only understands it, but they ta- take action on it. And so I think motivation is great. Uh, I think, uh, as Zig Ziglar said, it's, it's, it's good to have motivation daily, just like you take a shower to, to, to wipe off the residues and wipe off all the negative experiences. That's what motivation does. It, it gives your, your mentality or gives your mindset a mental washing every single day because you, you run into so much rejection and fear and uncertainty and news and all types of things in your seed season. By the way, the harvest never looks like the seed. You can count the amount of seeds in an apple, but you can never count the amount of apples that come from one single seed. And so my mission, my purpose that is wrapped up in being a transformational teacher, when people ask me, well, what's your life's purpose? It's very simple. Number one, I distribute ideas. And number two, I introduce people to their real selves. That is my entire life work. I just so happened to, over the last 11 years, do it in the profession of network marketing using this as the platform to do it in. And it's allowed me to reach millions of people around the world. So that's that's transformational teacher. It's someone that can break down concepts. I love what Einstein said. He says, if you can't explain something simply, it's because you don't understand it well enough. And so as a teacher, a teacher is one that explains a concept, explains an idea. Think about when you were in school. Your best teachers are people that believed in you, but also were able to take you through a process of ex- instruction and give you a foundation for you to build upon. And that's what a transformational teacher is for me. You talked about uh, before what stopped you from joining and the law of depreciation, uh, depreciating idea. I love that. The, that, that phrase you just coined. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's procrastination. One author said the largest nation in the world is that of procrastination. And so, um, you know, if you're going to do it eventually, you might as well do it immediately. And, and for me, if, if, if I would have done today what I should have done then, my, my results would have been farly, farly, farly exceeded to what I've done now. Maybe what I earn annually would be what I, be, I, I, I would earn monthly. And so, you know, that's the key is really taking action uh, and taking it immediately. Once you get that, that breakthrough, and that, that's all a breakthrough is. You know, a breakthrough, many people say they want a breakthrough, but they can't deal with the breakdown. They say they want the rainbow, but they can't stand the rain. They all want the crown, but they're not willing to carry the cross. And so a breakthrough is simply, in the words of Tony Robbins, a moment in time where the impossible becomes possible. And once that happens, you must take massive action. 
So there you have it. Awesome show from J.R. Wilkins. Again, want to listen to the full show, mlnation.com, Photoshop 060. Uh, and it talks about why it takes people to obtain success. Jared talks about mentoring versus coaching, transitioning versus jumping, the power of goal setting, uh, what it takes and what it means to be a trans- transformational teacher and the law of the depreciation idea. Great stuff from Gerald Wilkins. Hey, ML Nation, thank you for listening. Again, I want you to apply what you learned. Instead of just listening more and more, take the nuggets. These are one of the most popular episodes almost out of over 500 shows. Take, make sure you take action on what you do. And sometimes you, have to, you really have to take a break from personal development. Take action. And that's what we're doing is replaying them for you here. So, hey, if you want to go through the complete show notes and the links, go to mlnation.com forward slash uh, 480. It's episode four, 480. Can't believe we're up to 480. And we're talking about uh, these gold, you know, oldies but goodies like Robert Hollis, Lisa Grossman, all from the first year. Hey, ML Nation, thank you for listening. Hey, if you love ML Nation, please do us a favor. Subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Um, Apple has made it a lot easier to leave a review on your phone now. That would really help us. And uh, keep the feedback coming. Love you. You know, I, I'm loud and proud to be part of this amazing profession. Thank you for listening. Thank you for part of ML Nation. And remember, we're in the profession to help others. So go out there and have a positive impact on someone's life today. God bless you all. Thanks for joining us today. Now head over to MLMNation.net for valuable recaps of every show and also to get your free training resource on how to use online duplication to grow your business. Thanks again for being a part of this amazing profession.